I trust that you do. If you can open with me to Romans 14, Romans chapter 14, and welcome to week 30 of our Romans series. And let me just go ahead and give you this warning from the beginning. Today is another difficult message. You know, this is the beauty of us going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, thought or kind of thought by, by thought through a book of the Bible is that we can't ignore any of this. The text we come to today, listen, if it was on my own, left to my own, I would not pick this. But because we are here in the word, we are taking on this difficult text and it will not be easy. But let me begin this way. One of the latest buzzwords that has made its way into our society and into the church is the, the word organic. So as a society, we are spending more and more money on organic produce and cage-free eggs and grass-fed beef and anything with a label natural, we quickly gravitate to, even though we don't know the difference between natural and all natural and what all that means. And then for others, and I'm going to say this, i got to turn away from Miss Christina here. For, for others, essential oils have become a part of replacing traditional medicine and have become all the rage. While we, while we probably no longer use oils to mummify our loved ones, um, essential oils have made a major comeback in, in recent years as a popular and powerful natural healing solution. And of course, my house contains several bottles of these beneficial and great smelling oils. Whether you consider yourself a essential oil junkie, to my left, or you consider yourself um, someone who who knows someone is that we, we all know someone who says, well, I got an oil for that. And um, they're, they're, they're there for us. Or maybe you've attended a party where you've learned that essential oils could cure everything um, from acne to gas to strep throat to the coronavirus or whatever else it might be. And these oils have led to some pretty hilarious, satirical, that is false but funny headlines and stories. I found a few of these from the Babylon Bee, if you don't follow them. Um, it, it will be a benefit for you to follow the, the Babylon Bee. But here's a few stories that they came up with. They're false, but they're funny. In a press release Friday, Hasbro announced a new version of the classic board game Operation in which players use essential oils to treat the serious medical conditions rather than taking patient cavities, uh, Sam, into a hospital for expensive invasive surgery. Or I like this one. A new line of manlier essential oil scents is now available, including scents like bacon, V8 engine exhaust, freshly cut grass, and the scent of a just-fired assault rifle. So there will be a man in the church near you coming with that. And then, or this one, while touring the Young Living Essential Oil Factory, local woman Karen Nicole fell into a vat of essential oils, granting herself immortality. So again, none of these stories are true, but they are funny. And before we have any of our essential oil ladies call for my resignation, let me say again, I have no problem with essential oils, and I even use them occasionally. In fact, for full disclosure, they actually helped Pastor Jordan survive youth camp. So he would not have made it without his, his calming oil. I believe you're only supposed to put it on your wrist and your neck, but he was actually snorting it. But it, it, helped him, it helped him through, so we didn't question anything. I mean, it helped him. So here we are. We're still here. However, however, I do think the name essential might be a bit 
overstated. It might be a bit much. You know, are these oils really essential? Can we really not live without them? Maybe, maybe the names helpful oils or special oils or maybe pretty close to essential oils might be a more appropriate name. But I say all that to say this. All throughout the book of Romans, we are confronted with something that we can't live without. And that something that we can't live without is called the gospel. We can't live without it. It's not an overstatement to say that the gospel for us is truly essential. It is the message of our faith. But at times, we, the church, have lost sight of what is essential. And instead, we have majored on the minors. We have made non-essential things um, what we argue about and what we fight over. Let me just say this. A gospel-centered church makes the main thing the main thing in everything. A gospel-centered church makes the main thing the main thing in everything. So I want us to open the word together. I want us to present our toes because they are going to be stepped on this morning. All of us are going to have our toes stepped on in some form or some way. And I want us to dive into the Word. And if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's Word. We're going to read Romans 14, 1 through 12 together. And Paul says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. We could just stop there and have a whole message on that. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, in a beautiful way, it is tells us whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you again for this difficult passage. And Lord, we, we pray, God, that you would, by your spirit, convict us. By your spirit, Lord, go to the heart of the matter of our lives and help us, Lord, to understand the liberty that we have in you, but also understand, God, the difference between that which is essential and that which isn't. Lord, just have your way in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So think about this. The human body that we have is absolutely amazing. It's an amazing creation. We have a series of systems. So the circulatory system, the digestive system, the skeletal system, the nervous system, all work together to keep our body healthy and 
growing. Yet, if you have a problem with one system, it creates a problem in all systems. In the same way it is with the body of Christ. So to keep the body healthy, we must live in all systems in unity. We must fight for unity. We must desire unity. Therefore, as believers, we must think essential. What is essential? What is essential to our faith? And in order to do that, we've also got to identify the non-essentials, which is what Paul does here in Romans 14. The non-essentials he's addressing is what days to worship, what feast, what kinds of diets should be observed. So in the Roman culture, it was normal for someone to go to a pagan temple to offer an animal sacrifice and to take the best of the meat that was offered from the temple, go into the street and to sell the best of the meat to the public for food. Now, the Gentile believers, they didn't grow up in church, so they had no problem eating the meat. For them, they liked meat. Meat was good. They ordered the number six combo meal with the meat. Everything was fine and good. Yet, for the Jewish person who was raised in church, thinking about meat in a pagan temple, they thought immediately idolatry. Everything about that is idol worship, and I don't want any part of it. In the same way, as far as days of worship, the Gentile believer had no problem. Any day of the week, we can worship just fine. We'll worship any day of the week. Yet the Jewish believer, for them, they were so entrenched, and you had to worship on the Sabbath. You had to worship on that Saturday, and not to do so was blasphemy. So there was a difficulty taking place here where you had Two sides with different traditions, different backgrounds, judging each other for what they were doing within the church, for the beliefs that they held within the church. So all the way back to the early church, we had divisions, we had arguments, we had squabbles. The Bible declares that we, the church, are the army of the Lord. The problem is, as the army of the Lord, we spend way more time fighting each other than we do fighting the enemy. We spend way more time fighting one another than we do fighting the enemy who is against us. And a house divided cannot, will not stand. Listen, some of us come from a background that we have zero church backgrounds, or you have zero church background in your life. Others of us come from a background where we have too much church background. And what I mean by that is we have too many traditions in our lives. We have too many opinions that we hold to. And what happens is this. It begins like this. The word of God, my opinion. And then it goes, the word of God, my opinion. The word of God, my opinion. And we place our opinions right alongside the word of God. That very attitude led Jesus in Mark 7, 7 to say, they worship me in vain, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. So Jesus said, listen, they're worshiping me in vain because they're teaching their own opinions as if they're my word. They're teaching their own opinions as, as if they came from me. For you see, it'd be much simpler if we lived in a world where everything was either black or white or everything had a label on it, right or wrong. Wouldn't that be a lot easier? Right or wrong, we would say, okay, we do the right, leave the wrong alone. But what we know is that Listen, the world that we live in isn't always black or white. There's sometimes there are gray areas. And as a Christian, we want to do what's right. We follow the word of God. We want to honor the Lord in everything that we do. But we also know that the, the Bible doesn't address every single issue. The Bible is quiet on some issues. And the problem is there are Christians who are convinced on issues that the Bible is quiet 
own that they are completely right and everyone else that has a different opinion is completely wrong. Even if the Bible doesn't address it, they're right. Now think about the words of Augustine. Or if you are a deep thinker, Augustine. But we're going to go with Augustine today. But here's what he says. In essential things, unity. In non-essential things, liberty. In all things, charity. In essential things, as the body of Christ, we must be unified. We must be united together. Non-essential things, we leave room for freedom. And in everything we love. In everything we love one another. So what I want to do this morning is I want to place before us three liberating truths. This first one, we're going to be here a while. So we're going to camp out here the longest. And that is this. We are free to accept one another. We're free to accept one another. Paul says in verse 1, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. For, according to verse 3, God has welcomed him. Not everything in the Christian faith is a first order issue. But here's the problem. The longer that we are in church, the more we begin to love our opinion. The longer we are in church, the more we start to like our opinion over everyone else's. And we convince ourselves that everyone should live by our opinions. And everyone who doesn't live by our opinions is either an immature Christian or they're not a Christian at all. So there are a number of issues in the Bible that doesn't provide for us a clear yes or a clear no. There are issues that don't affect our salvation before God, our acceptance before God. They don't pertain to whether someone is a Christian or in the faith. Let me give you a short list. It's definitely not a complete list of some things that the church has fought over throughout the years. You have movies. What movies should we go to? Should you go to any movies whatsoever? Then you have eating out on Sunday. Should you go out to eat on Sundays? Politics. And, of course, we have dealt with that, especially a few weeks ago, in the battle that that often has over or in the church. Borrowing money, drinking alcohol, women ushers, dating standards. What standards should we use in dating or, or courting? Churches have fought over the timing of the rapture. So are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? You're post-trib, get out. And we fight over those things. The age of the earth, birth control, Bible translations. What Bible translation you hold to? And I know there's some in here, if the King James was good enough for Jesus, it should be good enough for us. I get it. I understand um, that. And that's kind of how we uh, process that and move forward. Other issues, women wearing head coverings, in church, women wearing pants to church, mixed swimming, so boys and girls swimming together, dancing. Oh, we don't do that. I heard a pastor this week said that he was taught in, in church that um, you don't make out with people because it, be, uh, it could lead to dancing. So don't, don't make out with someone that could lead to, to dancing. Stay away from that. Then we have rock music, Christian rock music. Long hair on men, short hair on women, women working outside the home. Then the church has fought over pianos in the church. You know, at one time the piano was considered a bar instrument. And when it first came to the church, oh my goodness. And then guitars in the church. Then you have the 
Christian school versus private school versus homeschool, and I'm not even going to get into it. We're going to move on quickly. Then you have Halloween. Should we celebrate it? Should we even participate in it? You have the death penalty. You have the church fighting over the Lord's Supper, the mode of baptism. Think about there's been some stupid issues in the church that the church has fought over, like interracial relationships. Even to the point where the church has said, um, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked, so never marry outside of your race. Teachings that have been taught and people pushed away because of it. Even clapping in church, traditional um, versus contemporary worship battles have taken place. Some of us can remember back to when dedicated Christians even opposed the radio because they said Satan was the prince and power of the air. So don't let airwaves into your life because Satan owns them. I mean, here's the deal. Chances are most of us have a strong opinion on at least one or more of the above. We don't argue anymore about eating meat or sacrificing the idols or whether to observe the Jewish feast or what day to worship on. But there are a hundred or hundreds of secondary issues that we are glad to fight over. Hundreds of secondary things that we don't mind fighting over. And the issue is, again, we have the tendency to elevate our opinions or our traditions above the Word of God or right alongside the Word of God, and we look down on anyone who doesn't agree with us. Again, there are essential essential beliefs and there are non-essential beliefs, and we must, as a church, stop fighting over non-essential things. We must stop it. When our opinions, when our preferences become more important to us than what God says is valuable, then our opinions have become to us an idol. So when we place our opinions of what, over what God has said is valuable, our opinion has become an idol to us. Oh, to God that we would stop elevating ourselves over God. So what is an essential issue? What is it that we hold to as essential um, for our salvation, essential for Christian belief. When we think about essential beliefs, we think about the inerrancy of this book. This is the Word of God. We think about the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. We include the virgin birth, his miracles, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, his return to the earth. We include that. Other primary or essential beliefs are that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We lift high the doctrine of the Trinity, that our God is three in one. We lift high the resurrection of the dead, the belief in heaven and hell. There are other foundational doctrines dealing with basic sexual morality that must be upheld because God's word declares them as such. These things are primary because they describe the central defining truths of the Christian faith, which is defined by the very word of God. And to put yourself outside of those is to put yourself outside of Christianity. Now, here's the deal. Primary truths must be insisted upon even when the world says that we're intolerant. Now, while our manner must always be kind, hear this, our convictions must always be firm. Our convictions must be firm. 
In the end, there can be no Christian fellowship with someone who doesn't hold to essential beliefs. I didn't say any fellowship. Yes, we want to continue to fellowship and want to continue to bring in uh, people who don't know the Lord. But as far as Christian fellowship, I can't worship alongside someone who says Jesus isn't Lord. Doesn't make sense to do that, to worship alongside and, and uphold those beliefs that aren't true. In the famous words of Edward John Cornell, it is better to divide over truth than to unite around error. It's better to divide over truth and unite around error. But now back to these non-essential issues and weaknesses. What does Paul mean when he says weak or to welcome or receive one who is weak in the flesh? He's not talking about someone who's morally weak. He's not talking about someone who is weak in character. He is talking about someone who is weak because they have not held to or believed in the teachings of Paul up to this point. That by faith, we've been justified. We have access to God by faith alone. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They haven't grasped those freedoms. And the weakness that Paul is speaking about here is the weakness that weighs on people and in turn causes them to judge everyone else around them. We would say this, they have an oversensitivity to the non-essentials. And now we, we all know people like that. Now be careful about thinking about someone because someone else might be thinking about you. But we all know people that way. People that, because of their background, have a certain amount of baggage that they carry upon their shoulders of things that they must do. The problem is they don't only judge their lives by that baggage, they judge everyone else by that same baggage. They hold other people to it as well. And these weak people, they believe they're stronger. They believe they're better. They believe they're, they're more holy than everybody else because of what they do or what they don't do. Many of which things God never commands. Let me just say this. The Pharisees did the same thing. So be very, very careful. If you're defining your Christian life only by what you do or don't do, be very careful. If your Christian life's only, well, I do this or I don't do this, you might be missing the point. We've got to be very careful when we think about the freedoms that we have. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we think about politics. We've got to be careful because if we're not, we begin to trust a political party or a political figure and they become our hope instead of Christ alone being our hope. We've got to be careful when we consider issues like, like alcohol. And how we know the Word of God tells us very clearly, do not be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Make sure that doesn't become a substitute for Him. But also we've got to be careful because some people will say, well, the Bible clearly says, thou shalt not drink. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, there's passages that say a little bit of wine is beneficial, as Paul tells Timothy. But we also have got to be careful because we know we live in a culture where one out of every seven people, 14% of people who take a drink will become an alcoholic. So we've got to be very careful. And so here's the deal. Paul says, if you're sitting here going, well, I can drink, you're weak, you don't know what you're doing, and you don't have the freedom I have, Paul says, you're the weak one. Or if you say, well, I do this, you do this, how dare you not have my idea, Paul says, you're the weak one. So the point is, when we have our baggage, when we have our things that we say we have to do, we must do, I can't believe you're not doing this, Paul says, you're the one. You're the one who's lost sight. 
You're the one whose mind is no longer on what it must be on. When you're holding people to non-essentials, you aren't, hear this, you're not welcoming those who disagree with you. And Paul tells us very clearly, welcome him, don't quarrel over opinions. And let me tell you, he says why we should welcome people. He says this, for God has welcomed him. In case you're missing that, let me say this very, very clearly. We are called to receive those whom God himself receives. Since God accepts people solely on the basis of their belief in Jesus Christ, so should we. Or to put it another way, who in the world are you to reject someone that God has accepted? If you reject someone that God has accepted, who in the world do you think you are? I think of the words of John Stott. He was a pastor, Anglican pastor, and just passed away about 10 years ago. He said, how dare we reject a person whom God has accepted? Indeed, the best way to determine what our attitude to other people should be is to determine what God's attitude to them is. And then I love this. Listen to what he says. This principle is better even than the golden rule. It's safe to treat others as we would like them to treat us, but even safer still to treat them as God does. The golden rule is good. Treat other people like you would want to be treated, but even better, treat them the way God treats us. Treat them that way. If God has accepted them, how dare we reject them? And the answer is we can't. Be free to welcome in your family. Be free to welcome open arms the family of God, even if there's some opinions, differing opinions on non-essential things. So we are free to accept one another. Secondly and quickly, we are free to honor the Lord with one another. So we're free to honor the Lord with one another. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So whatever you do, you should be able to do it as an offering to God. Can you listen to that? Can you watch that? Can you go there for the glory of God. Can you do it and bring honor as an offering to the Lord? The Bible says, listen, if you can't, don't do it. Be fully convinced that you can. But know this, even though your conscience is a precious gift from God, even your conscience can become seared. Even your conscience can be wrong. I deal with people all the time that were raised in legalistic churches. And they come in and a pastor like me stands up and reads the ESV and they're convicted. And they're like, oh, I think we're, everybody in that church is going to hell because they're listening to the uh, Bible in a non-authorized version. And listen, they have that conviction, but that conviction is wrong. It's wrong. It's, it's not according to the word of God. Again, if somebody wants to approach me having read the Greek and Hebrew, we can have that conversation. But don't come to me with a translation saying this is the authoritative one. That, that ship has sunk. So be very, very careful there. But we have these things, these convictions that we hold tight to that get this, we need to let go of because they're wrong. So sometimes our convictions can be wrong and we can hold to things that aren't true and therefore challenge your convictions or allow the word of God to reform your convictions. Seven times here, seven times here, Paul relates to our lifestyle choices directly 
in our relationship with Jesus Christ, saying, the Lord, the Lord, we, we see it here in verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lived himself, none of us dies himself. We'll look at that in just a second, but think about that picture. We're honoring the Lord. An interesting illustration of this happens in John 21, where Peter comes to Jesus and and Jesus takes Peter and restores Peter after Peter had denied him. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he tells Peter, listen, you're going to be stretched. Your arms are going to be stretched out. You're going to be killed for me, but you follow me. So Peter begins to follow Jesus. He hears someone behind him. He turns, and there's John. So Peter says, well, Jesus, um, what about John? You just said, I'm going to die for you. What, what about him? And Jesus basically looks at Peter and says, Peter, let me be Lord of your life, and let me be Lord of his. Because here's the deal. Brothers and sisters, many of us in this room, or some of us in this room, or some of us watching online, we're not following the Lord right now because we're too busy looking at everybody else. We're staring at everybody else going, what about them? What about them? What about them? What about that? What about this? And Jesus says, let me be Lord of them, but let me be Lord of you. Follow me. Follow me. Stop. Listen, brothers and sisters, follow Jesus. Stop worrying about everyone else and what they're doing and what they're believing and what is happening in their lives and what God is giving them or withholding from you or whatever it is and follow Jesus. Let him be Lord of you. Let him be Lord of you. And then this section ends this way. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I love this description because Paul says this, everything about our lives revolves around Jesus. Everything. If we live, we live for him. If we die, we die to him. Whether we live or whether we die, we are his. Everyone, everyone lives for someone or something. And we can live in a very uh, superficial or even a selfish way. But according to this book, Jesus has laid claim on us to where we are now to live for him. Are you living? Live to the Lord. Are you dying? Die to the Lord. Praise him for saving you and ask him to glorify himself in the way you live your life. Ask him to be Lord of every, every square inch of your life, to every square inch of your heart. We are not our own. We are the Lord's. Honor him. Honor him in all that you do. Do it unto him. Which leads us to the last truth, which is this. If your toes haven't been stepped on yet, welcome to the party. Number three, we are free from judging one another. We are free from judging one another. Paul says in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And then in verse 12, he says, So then each of us will give an account of himself. One author put it this way, I suppose it is tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everyone else around you like a nail. The only tool you have as a hammer is tempting to treat everyone else like a nail. The heart of this saying implies that we have, we all have a default setting when it comes to interpreting the other, other people's lives and other people's motives. 
And that default setting is this. We judge. We judge. The nail is there. Boom. Boom. Judge, 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 judge. And the easy thing is this. I am, we are so good at judging a thousand sins of other people than we are at judging one sin of our own. We become so good at judging other people. Yet let me say this clearly. It is impossible. It is impossible to praise God if you are passing judgment on another. You can't do the two simultaneously. You can't judge someone else and at the same time give glory to God. And Paul says this, everyone, including Christians, will give an account of their actions, but we won't give an account to one another. We will give an account to God. So each of us will have to answer for ourselves before God, meaning no one can repent for you. No one can love God for you. No one can obey God for you. No one can answer for you. You and you alone will be responsible. And Paul says here, we will appear before the judgment seat. The Bema seat of, of God is different from the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation 20, which the unsaved will stand before God. The judgment seat is each of us, according to 1 Corinthians 3, will stand before God and the fire of God's judgment will go throughout our lives and determine whether we wasted our lives, or we wasted the talents that were given to us, or we wasted the time that was given to us, the resources. That, that fire of God will just go throughout all of our lives. And yes, we'll still be saved. We'll absolutely still be saved, but if we're not careful, we'll have nothing to show for our lives as we stand before the one who has given us life. Oh, that that would not be true of us. Therefore, the message for the 21st century Christian is when we judge others, we place ourselves above God. And Christian, we have no right to play God. There is a judge, and it's not you, and it's not me. So don't take the place of God. If we're in Christ, if we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, listen, the sin of judgment will not keep us out of the kingdom of God. But if you judge other people, it will keep you out of fellowship with God and it will keep you away from beautiful unity within the church. Oh, that that would not be true. Listen, we're able to repent of our sin, even the sin of judging others. And as we do so, God will forgive us. But let's also understand that it doesn't always take away what we do when we judge other people how we hurt other people in the process. And, and please hear what I'm saying. Yes, we want to pray for one another. Yes, you can encourage one another. You can even admonish other people. When you see people giving yourself or giving themselves to sin, we want to go to them. Galatians 6 tells us that. Those who are weak in faith, we want to pull them out. But we also want to make sure, listen, we're not the final judge. God himself is. So as we're thinking about ourselves right now on a plane, we're beginning to descend. And as we descend, I want to place before you a quote from an author named Walter Chantry. And I, when we think about Christian liberty, I think this is a, a good thought for us to think about. He says this, Liberty may be an instrument for giving glory to the Most High, or it may be a curtain used to shield indulgence of the flesh. You may discover by self-examination of your heart which function liberty serves in your life. So the liberty that you are experiencing as a child of God, is it bringing glory to the Most High God or is all it's doing is filling your flesh? 
Present your heart before God and ask him to judge your motives. Ask him to judge your conscience. Ask him to judge even your freedoms. And as we examine our hearts, as we understand the freedoms that we have, then in freedom, welcome one another. Love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. In your freedom, honor the Lord with one another. Making the main thing the main thing. In your freedom, consider your appointment with the Lord that you will give an account. And that there's a judge so you don't have to be. Takes the pressure off of us. There's a judge in heaven. You don't have to be it. The pressure is now off. And then live your life continually asking these questions. Is every area of my life bringing glory to God? What conduct will best enable me to share the gospel with those who don't know? What does it mean for me in this moment to take up my cross and follow him? What is God doing in my life right now and how am I responding? How am I showing God's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and the fruit to others around me? What beliefs in my life nudge me back to the cross of Jesus Christ and pull me and push me forward to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Again, what will bring glory to God and then by His grace Pursue that. Pursue that. With all your heart, pursue that. Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to lay down our opinions and pick this up. Because let me say it again. I've said it many times before. Your opinion cannot save anyone. Your opinion won't save anyone. In fact, what your opinion will do is push people away. But this book will save everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. Oh, that we would give ourselves to this that we would give ourselves to this and call on people not to follow our set of beliefs and our set of rules, but call on them to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to call the, the band forward, and we're going to enter this time of invitation and consecration. And let us pray together. Fathers, we finish this difficult text and this difficult subject Father, we thank you for your conviction. Lord, we thank you, Father, that your word is living and powerful and it's able to cut right to the heart of our, of our lives, the heart of the matter, and do that in all of our lives. God, cut to the heart of the matter in this moment. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have in you. We thank you that we're different, and some have freedoms, Lord, that others and their conscience don't have. And, Lord, we don't want to spend time trying to judge other people. Lord, help us to love one another well. At the same time, God, if we see brothers and sisters going towards sin, help us to pray for them. Lord, help us to encourage them and, Lord, grab them and convince them, Lord, to return to you. Give us wisdom insight, compassion, and how to do that while keeping you the main thing, keeping your word the main thing and not just our opinions. Lord, forgive us for where we have lifted up our opinions to be equal with your word. Forgive us for where we, we have taught as doctrine the commands of man. Forgive us for that, Lord. Remind us even today that our opinions can save no one. 
Yet the gospel message will save all who call upon you. Finish this time. Oh, Holy Spirit, work among us. In Jesus' name.